Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Today, I'm going to continue in this season on the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached from the greatest man who's ever lived. And Jesus proclaims amongst his people these incredible words about the kingdom of God. See, when Jesus came, he came to establish his kingdom. There are many other kingdoms, many other nations ruled by many other rulers, but here comes the ruler from heaven to establish not a geographical kingdom, but a universal kingdom. And he was going to establish it in the hearts of men and women, his followers, his disciples. And when we receive him, we become a part of this kingdom. We become ambassadors of this kingdom. And his kingdom has outlasted every other kingdom and will outlast every kingdom that this world will ever see into eternity. And and he proclaims this kingdom in his initial sermon. And so I want you to hear these words with that perspective in mind. What is Christ here to develop in the world? And what is he here to develop in me? title of my sermon today is God's Divine Directives, the Divine Directives. And I got a couple verses I want to read with you. Let's start with Jesus's proclamation from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, Jesus is saying this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. We see this theme all throughout Uh, the Sermon on the Mount as well, that Jesus keeps emphasizing doing the will, following the will. And uh, he he emphasizes a a life of action, not apathy, a life of uh, where our spirituality informs every other aspect of our life. And he, he goes on to say, on that day, many will say to me, many, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I've heard this verse described as the scariest scripture in all of the Bible. Because they recognized Jesus as Lord. They were even able to do spiritual, supernatural works. Prophecy, miracles, casting out demons, and yet... A critical piece was missing. The most critical piece was missing, relationship with Jesus. That is what he came to reestablish. That is and should be the goal of every single Christian to know God and to be known by God. I want to show you another scripture to kind of juxtapose these scriptures together. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, Jesus is saying, His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. We see two different proclamations from Jesus over his people. To one, he says, depart from me. To the other, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. I pray that the well done are the words that you hear and you receive on that judgment day. Because make no mistake, every one of us We are going to stand before Jesus as judge. And we are going to hear one of these two sentences pronounced over us. Today, I want to speak to you about how to have the words well done spoken over your life. One more verse, 
2 Samuel chapter 6. The Bible says this in the story of King David and Uzzah. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we honor you today, and we want to hear from you today. In Jesus' name, come on, all God's people said, amen. Uzzah reached his arm out, and he was struck dead there beside the ark of God. This is the thought I want to present to you today. Our good intentions do not override God's divine directives. Our good intentions do not override God's divine directives. His sacred word, his scripture, his guiding force, who we are, what we do has to come into submission to sacred scripture. Because a lot of times we equate uh, that, that we're a good person or that we meant well, we equate that with being righteous. And I want you to know that's, that, that's false. Being good is good, but that does not necessarily mean you are righteous. What you mean, I meant well, I tried my hardest, I did my best, that's good, but that's not necessarily God. We as humans, we have to know God and we have to be known by God. That is the thing that will gain us access through the gates of heaven. And the fundamental, the fundamental element that makes a Christian is this, the decision to follow Jesus, wait, wait for it, his way. The decision to follow Jesus, his way. Our intentions aside, our goodness aside, our thoughts aside, we choose to follow Jesus the way he desires to be followed, to know him the way that he desires to be known. And God has a way. He has desires. He has a personhood that we might approach him a certain way. And, and, and the way is found in the word. His way is found in his word. So our decisions must be informed by God's directives. Not the way of the crowd, not the way of our emotions, not the way that we've seen other people growing up, the way of the experts. All those may be good, but they are not the way of the master. And so when our way or our friend's way or our feelings way clashes with the way of God, we have to submit your way, not my way. We submit when they conflict, we submit. Even if we don't fully understand, even if we're having a hard time agreeing, hear me, we must make this critical decision as Christians to choose to follow God's directives, follow God's way over our instincts, our thoughts, our desires, the way of the crowd around us, because the way of Jesus leads to life on life. Our own way is not guarded or protected by God. We see Jesus speak to Peter 
And, and, and this is a famous moment in Scripture where Jesus rebukes Peter, and he says, get thee behind me, Satan. What was happening that would make Jesus rebuke Peter like that? Well, Peter had pulled Jesus aside, and he told Peter, uh, Peter told Jesus, Jesus, listen, you're not going to go this way. You're not going to die this way. Stop saying this. You're making everybody nervous. And Jesus tells Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Why? Because Jesus had to challenge an agenda, a direction that was not of God. He is saying, I will follow the will of my father and your way, Peter, or the way of the crowd or the way of my emotions will mislead me away from my master. Hear me. This is what Jesus had to say to Peter. And the very next thing Jesus says is he, he speaks to us. He says, if anyone desires to follow me, you have to deny yourself. You have to tell your emotions. You have to tell your will. You have to tell your thoughts to get in line and get behind you because I am deciding to deny my own nature and receives nature, uh, Jesus' nature. I'm, I'm deciding to deny my old way and follow in the way of Jesus. Hear me, our good intentions do not override God's directives. We choose to follow his word in his way over our own thoughts or our own way. See, the problem of choosing self, the problem of a lifestyle of self first, problem with life, a lifestyle of self first is in the end, it's satanic. I know that's a big statement to make, but I can prove it to you. Satan says this when he decides to initiate a rebellion. He says, I will ascend to the heaven above the stars of God. Of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend to the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. These are the five I wills of Satan. You got to understand, in order to gain access to heaven, we have to deny ourselves and choose to walk in God's directives and God's directions. The first and greatest rebellion from Lucifer was all about himself. I'm going to do this. I think this. I deserve this. These are, this is what I want and I desire over and over and over. He says, I will, I will, I will. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to gain access to heaven, you are going to have to first and foremost and fully and finally deny yourself. Jesus models this. When he's in the garden, he bows his head before God, and Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will. So we see these two ways of approaching life. We see Satan saying, I will. We see Jesus saying, not my will. We see these two groups of people. One, Jesus says, I do not know you. The other, Jesus says, come in to the gates of heaven and enter into the joy of your master. Today and every day of your life, you have a choice. I have a choice. Will we pursue God his way or will we follow our own way or our own desires? The way of the crowd, the way of the emotions, the way of the experts. We see David come into conflict 
with this question. We see David had just become king. He defeats the Philistines. And, uh, and the first thing David does is he decides to reset the nation and bring God back into God's presence back into the city of Jerusalem. It's a, it's a great decision right at the start. He wanted his reign, he wanted his rule to be blessed by God. And so he knows that the way to get God's blessing is to get God's presence. So he decides to go after God's presence and bring it back into the city of Jerusalem, the presence that was lost under previous kings. David says, I want it in my life. I want it in my city. I want it around my people because the presence always produces blessings. The only problem is David desires, decides to go after the ark his own way. He says, I, I got a good plan. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do away with the Philistines. I'm going to go up to where the ark is. We'll put it on an ox cart. We'll bring it to Jerusalem. We'll celebrate. It will be awesome. Israel's back, baby. Let's go. He decides to engage his plan without the word of God, without the directives of a priest or a prophet, without scripture, without the roles. What he's essentially doing is he, he's saying, I will, I will, I will, I will bring in the presence. I can make it happen. I can bless Israel. I, I will. See, his desire for the presence of God was a good thing. But even good things, when gone about without God, can be unrighteous things, can be done the wrong way. Good does not necessarily mean God. When, when, when Jesus is speaking about these people that said, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? All of these things are good things, but yet they missed the greatest thing, the thing that mattered the most. They did not know God. They didn't know his will. They didn't know his word. They didn't receive directions and directives from him. So even they did all this good stuff, they missed out on the best. They missed out on eternal life. Isn't this what we do all the time? That we do what we want to do and then we ask God to bless it. God, this is what we're doing. Here's my plan. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go there. I'm going to do that. I'm going to open this up. I'm going to enga get engaged with that person. I will, I will, I will. And then we say, no, God, no, you bless it. But God says, that's not how this works. At the beginning, I want to be included in your plan. At the beginning, I want my word to be the thing that divinely directs you. I want there to be relationship. I want there to be engagement. I want there to be friendship. Because see, relationships are always a two-way street. Especially when you're, you're pursuing someone. When I was pursuing my wife, I had to find out how she wanted to be pursued. I couldn't just invite her to a NASCAR event and be like, babe, this is going to be awesome. Let's, let's, let's go. She's not into that. I had to figure out what is she into and try and relate to her on that way. And by the way, there's no way to figure out what she's into unless she tells me. This is the same with God. God is a person and he wants a relationship with his people. And God is saying, I want you to pursue me, but I want you to pursue me my way. I want you to know me 
my way. Well, so many times we're saying, no, no, God, we'll do good stuff though. Look, we're gonna go to church. We're gonna give. We're gonna cast out demons. We're gonna prophesy. And God says, that's good. But you know what's better? I want you to know me. There's a verse in, uh, in the book of Samuel where, where Samuel comes to King Saul and he tells Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice. Saul thought that he was going to kind of ignore God's instructions, but then wow God with these great sacrifices. And the prophet had to tell Saul, hey, you don't know, you don't know this about God. God doesn't just want extravagance. God wants you to obey. He wants, he wants you to pursue him the way he wants to be pursued. And I think sometimes, especially in this modern day, we can miss this about God. We can assume we know what we know. We've been to church, heard some sermons, heard some stuff, and I'm a good person. So therefore, God's going to like me. But I want you to know, God has set up a way that he wants to be known. God has already given his instructions. It's called the word of God. And if you want to have relationship with him, you got to listen to his words. Listen to when he speaks. Can't make your own plan. Do your own thing. And then say, Lord, Lord, bless it. God doesn't work that way. God says, I'm going to bless my way. And I want you to follow my directives, walk in my way, and then you'll be blessed. Is this making sense to you? I think right now we're in a, in a place with Christianity that we think spirituality is good enough. We kind of know God, we kind of do good stuff, and that, that's fine. But you won't find more spiritual people than the ones that said, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons. You want to talk about spirituality? You want to talk about amazing works? And yet it's not works that get us into heaven. It's not miracles that get us into heaven. It's knowing God. And God says, this is how I want to be known, through my word. This is how I want to be worshipped. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, when you pray, Pastor David referenced it earlier, when you pray, Matthew 6, pray like this. Jesus is speaking to us, this is how I want to communicate with you. This is how I want you to communicate with me. And Jesus is saying, if you want to get to heaven, there is a door, there is a way, there is a gate, and the way in is not good. The way in is God. Because see, our definition of good maybe isn't even all that good. Our definition of good sometimes is based on culture, which is always changing, shifting. What was good three years ago is not good today. What was good three weeks ago is not good today. And God's saying, no, no, I, I don't want you to approach me with what you think is good. I want you to come to me with what I think is good. Come to me through the word of God. David, David made a mistake. What David wanted was good. But David went after it in a way that God did not deem righteous. David said, I want the presence of God in Jerusalem. So his plan was to put the ark on an ox cart. This had never been done before in all of Israel's history. And, and he brought the ox cart into Jerusalem. This would be easy. You know, the, the, the box is heavy. This is simple. We'll just get it in there, and then we'll have the presence of God in Jerusalem back, restore it where it should be. And, and then his goal was to build the temple and, and honor God in that place. And again, all good things, but yet God had already given directions on how the Ark of the Covenant should be moved. He already, God already had a plan. 
This is my first point. He desired, David desired God's presence, but he ignored God's directives. He said, I'll do it my way. I'll make it happen. It will be great. The problem is he ignored the protocols to the ark, the protocols to the presence of God. And the result was that he, he goes about approaching God the wrong way. Don't we do this all the time? We'll do this in our finances. We'll make whatever decisions we want to make. Sometimes let tithing go for a little bit. Not be, not be generous. Be greedy a little bit. Hoard up. And then we have the audacity to say, God, now bless our finances. And God says, no, no, I, I have a way that I bless finances. But you have to follow my way. Don't we do this all the time? We ignore God's directives. And we hope that the presence will come. We do this with relationships. We, we, we decide, you know what, I'm not going to forgive them. I'm not going to forgive them. I'm going gonna, to be bitter over here. I'm going to be angry over here. But God, bless my relationships. Let them flourish. Sometimes we're in relationships with people that are enemies of God. They do not love God. And we say, you know what, we love God, but I'm going to be in love with someone that does not love God. So God, bless it. God says, I can't. You're ignoring my directives. There's a way I want there to, there to be relationships be, uh, be created. There's a way that I want love to be engaged with. There's a way that I want a home to be built. There's a way that friendships should be established. You've got to walk in that way. And if you do, my presence will show up. It will be blessed. But if you decide to do it your own way, God says, I can't bless it because it's not, it's not in my will. It's not in my way. This is when Jesus had to tell Peter, you got to get in line if you want to be blessed. If you want to follow me, you got to get in line. David, David wanted God to not have a say on the way that his presence would be brought to the city of Jerusalem. And you might say, well, who cares? What's the big deal? Who cares how you bring the ark of God into Jerusalem? At least he wants the presence of God there, right? At least he's doing something about it. But see, what you have to understand is sometimes God is doing things on a bigger scale than just you. And God wants you to play your part, but he's doing something grand. See, it wasn't just about the Ark of the Covenant on that day. The Ark of the Covenant was given to the whole nation. And it was even given to one tribe specifically to be guardians of. They were called the Levites. And God gave protocols that when it was time to move the Ark, that it would be designed with poles that you would put through the ark so that no one would touch the ark because the ark should be sacred, holy, set apart as there should be things in our society that are sacred, holy, untouchable, set apart. God says put these poles through and then put them on the shoulders of men. These were Levites set apart for this one specific thing. They were a priesthood. And what these Levites would do is they would carry the ark before the nation that God's presence would go first and the blessings would come back on the nation. This is how it should be done. This was written down in the books of the law, known by the priests, known by the Levites. God had a way that he wanted this to be followed. And when David said, forget that way, I'm going to do it my own way, the problem with that is it wasn't just about that moment. It had repercussions. It was about the nation. It was about the tribe. You know, you know what else it was about? It was about you and me. Because see, God knew that a thousand years later, he was going to send his son, Jesus. 
And Jesus was going to promise the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God would descend. The same Spirit that used to reside on the ark was going to descend and reside in people. See, the whole point was that God would paint a picture that people carry the presence. People carry the ark of the covenant, not oxen, not a cart. It's not sacred. It's not set apart for this duty. The picture God was trying to paint for thousands of years, that it's that people carry the presence so that when his spirit fell, you become a carrier and I become a carrier. And more than that, we become Levites. This is the priesthood of all believers. You're not just a Christian. You're not just a saint. You're a priest. You're a carrier of the spirit of God in your home in your workplace. Remember, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom rests in you. So wherever you go, so goes the presence, so goes the kingdom. This is what God was trying to do. And when David said, no, I got a better idea. Let's do it this way. It'll be fine. God said, no, you don't even understand what I'm doing. I'm working on a grand scale. This is why when God speaks to us through his word, this is why when God directs us through his word, even if we don't understand it, submit to it. Because God is doing something greater than you, beyond you, through you. Yes, for you, but also for your future and your future's future. He's a generational God. See, what God was saying to David was, I don't want the presence to be carried like that. Because these animals, they're not sacred. People have my image, and only people get to carry my presence. I want you to know, if you have not felt the presence of God, you can feel the presence of God today. It's your promise. And the presence of God can reside on the inside of you. You can be a part of the kingdom of God, and things can begin to change in your life, but it starts with receiving Jesus, and then you'll receive his presence. David ignored this. And the second thing, happened because of it is he dishonored what God designated as sacred. Because there are some things that God calls sacred that should be holy. I know in our society, it's become so, um, I don't know, it's become, it's gotten to a place where absolutely nothing is sacred and everything can be mocked. The The problem is that God doesn't see it that way. He calls family sacred. He calls marriage sacred. He calls your life sacred. He calls the church sacred. He calls the word sacred. There are some things that God designates as sacred. And he calls his people to treat them as such. David David didn't designate the presence of God as sacred enough. He thought it was no big deal. You know, I heard a great teacher uh, talk about kind of what was happening here. He was talking about the Ark of the Covenant. It's, it's, the greatest, it's the greatest object that planet Earth has ever seen. And them throwing it into the back of an ox truck was like them throwing it into the back of a Ford F-150. Just throw it back there. It's fine. It's no big deal. No, no, this is valuable beyond comprehension. It's the seat of God on planet Earth. And God is saying it's sacred. Can I tell you the word of God? It is sacred. The opinions of others, even if they're experts, they don't even come close to the word of God. Your friends, your family, 
what they think, it's not sacred. Your emotions, your state, your mental, physical state, it's not sacred. But your spirit is sacred. The spirit of God that resides within you, that's sacred. Those are the things you honor. Those are the things you cultivate. Those are the things that you get on the inside of you, his word and his way. I think the problem with cultural Christianity is, is right now there's this idea that sacredness can be carried through any lifestyle, any decisions, any mistakes, as if, as if God's grace goes on forever, as if God's grace is of no value. Just whatever. However you live, it's perfectly fine. God would never remove the sacredness of his spirit from you. But we don't see that in the Old Testament. In fact, you don't even see it in the New Testament. No, there are lifestyles, decisions, and actions that God asks you to abstain from so that you might be a Levite, so that you might be able to carry his spirit, so that you might be able to walk in his word because these things are sacred. The goal of the enemy is to get you to think that nothing is sacred, nothing's a big deal, just live how you want to live, and God's totally cool, like a cool uncle that doesn't actually care about you, that you could do whatever you want, and he's cool with it, and it's all going to end up fine. That's not what the Word of God says. It's not what we see in the life of David. It's not what we see all the way through. No, God says there is a way, and I want you to walk in it. The third thing we see from this story is, is that we see that Uzzah, reaches his hand out when the oxen stumble and he grabs onto the Ark of the Covenant and it ends up killing him because the Ark is sacred. And what we see is when you ignore God's instructions, you end up acting on instinct, acting out of emotion, acting out of whatever anyone else is acting out of, out of instinct. See, Uzzah wasn't acting in the protocols of God. Therefore, he instinctually reaches and touches what's sacred. And in that moment, he dies. And you might say, well, that's pretty harsh. Agreed. It is. But is God a holy God or is he not? God said, if you touch the ark, you die. And if someone touched the ark and they die, why? Because he's a holy God and he's not going to lie. See, what really went wrong here is that Uzzah was in a position he should have never, ever even been in. Should have never been near the ark. Should have never been carrying the ark like that. The oxen should have never tripped because they shouldn't have been used. This junky ox cart shouldn't have tipped because it shouldn't have been used. But when you begin to go outside of God's plan, now you're on your own plan. Now you're doing whatever feels right. Now you're acting out of instinct. And instinct, that'll get you in trouble. But the word of God, That'll lead to life. The word of God will lead to structure. It will lead to honor. It will lead to the Garden of Eden. It will lead to cultivating your spirit. Proverbs says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Seems, it's not good enough. Instinct is not how you were designed to live. Good falls short of God. So what I am here today to speak to you about, to plead with you, is that you might come not to a spiritual figure in the sky and a supernatural feeling, but you would come to the divine directives of God. That your life 
might come into alignment with God, that you would deny yourself and follow him. That's when you receive life. The fallout from Uzzah dying was great. People flipped out. You know, the Bible says David became angry with God. Isn't that always what we do? After we screwed it all up, now we're blaming God. Now we're mad at God because of our foolish decisions that got us into this bad situation, but now God's, God's got to clean it up. And if he doesn't, it's his fault. This is where David's at. But what had to happen is David had to go back to the word of God. He had to find out the way that the ark was meant to be carried. And when he began to do that, the spirit of God descended. There was celebration in the city. It was brought into a sacred place. Jerusalem flourished. David was honored. God's hand rested on the nation. What am I saying? When you follow divine directives, all of the sudden, things begin to come into alignment. God's presence comes into the home. His peace comes onto your mind. You gain wisdom and understanding, not from instinct, but from divine directives. And so, on judgment day, when you stand before a righteous judge who is Jesus Christ, what words will you hear? Will they lead to life or will they lead to death like Uzzah? Will you hear, well done, my good and faithful servant? Or will you hear, depart from me? I never knew you. Your choice doesn't happen then. It happens now, and tomorrow, and the next day. Your choice is your lifestyle, your declaration, your pattern of thinking, your actions. You choose today who you're going to align with, who you're going to serve. You choose today if you're going to carry the presence of God his way or if you're going to do your own thing. I hope that your destination is heaven. But your destination should determine your decisions. You know how when you go to use Google Maps and you choose, says, where are you going? You write in your destination. After you choose where you're going, then you get your direction options. That's where you make your decisions. Left, right, how fast you're going to go, what route you're going to take. It's your destination that works backwards into the decision-making process. I pray your decisions are informed by God's directives. God says, my goal, my hope for you is heaven. And I've given you the directives so that you can make wise decisions, so that your life can be blessed, that you can receive abundant life instead of the death of Uzzah. Jesus took the death that we deserved on the cross so that we might be able to have the Holy Spirit reside in us. He took what we deserved so that we might be able to walk a better path. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am life itself. When you follow him, you begin to walk a brand new path, a righteous path laid out by his directives that leads into eternity with him. For me, the words I most want to hear in all of eternity is well done. I pray that's the same for you. The way to get there is through his words. I want to just encourage you, Christian, honor the word of God. Know the word of God. 
Open it up every day. Let it inform you about who God is, what God desires. Let it speak to your heart. Let it correct your attitude. Let it change your mind. Let it inform your decisions that it might lead to a destination that is in Jesus Christ. If you've never given your life to Jesus, today is the day. Death is not your portion. Jesus took that on the cross. Life can be yours today, but you have to make this divine decision, not my will, but your will be done. I invite you to go to the page, awakeningchurch.org slash Jesus. There's a prayer right on there. You can pray it. Contact us. We'll pray with you, and we'll get you started on the journey of following Jesus. I think this world is in a shaken place. But those that establish their life on the rock of God not only are unshakable in this life, but they're unshakable into the next life. My prayer for you is that you would know God and you would know God by his words and that when you get to heaven, you'll be recognized by God. Well done, my good and faithful servant. God bless you, Awakening. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.